This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Wednesday afternoon, October 12th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. The once popular casual restaurant chain, Bennigan's, could be making a comeback. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, we're joined by Paul Christopher, head of global market strategy at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute based in St. Louis, to talk about the producer price index, which was released this morning, which is uh, what uh, manufacturers are paying for items at the wholesale level, and it's a barometer for the Consumer Price Index coming out tomorrow. And Paul, the uh, Reader's Digest version of the PPI report is that uh, inflation is stubborn and sticking around. (laughs) Well, yes, Ryan. Rob, hi. Uh, Yeah, inflation is sticking around. It was the disappointingly high inflation report uh, this morning. But that said, uh, we think the, the prospect for disinflation, so falling inflation, uh, in the goods sector is still very much intact. If you look at transportation, warehousing services, those fell for the third consecutive month. If you look at the cost to ship a container from China to the U.S., that continues to drop like a rock. Uh, trade services measure the changes in margins that wholesalers and retailers received. That posted its smallest gain since April and, and really suggests that businesses will have a lot more trouble passing on price increases going forward. And then further back in the pipeline, price growth for intermediate goods and services continues to trend lower and and aligns pretty well with our view that the worst of inflation is over, even if price growth still is is, is going to maybe be a little bit sticky here. Uh, we think the Fed will succeed in reducing inflation, and we think investors, if they can just be a little bit patient here, will see a turn in the coming months. Prices rose four-tenths of a percent uh, from August into September. What drove the increase on a month-over-month basis? That's the usual things, energy prices uh, being too high, and especially services. I mean, look, anyone who's been to O'Hare lately knows that there's still a lot of people spending cash to go places. Once that cash is gone, that spending is, is, is like all the other spending we're seeing, uh, people running around with suitcases full of cash to put down 10 or 15% above asking price on a house, that's all done. Uh, The traveling will soon be done. The cash is running out, and when it's done, that's when you'll see the economy slow and inflation with it. And uh, to what degree is uh, energy uh, driving uh, or at least keeping inflation up in the air? So the problem with energy isn't so much gas prices. Consumers, we see those all the time ourselves, and they've ticked a little bit higher, but they're nowhere near where they were last summer. On the other hand, the real problem is diesel. Diesel inventories remain really low, and what is we what do we use diesel for? Primarily for those 18-wheelers, the cross-the-road trucks that bring us food and clothing and housewares. And as long as those prices for diesel keep going up uh, or remain high, you're going to see uh, uh, prices for goods on the shelves uh, continue to go up. So it's just a question of time. 
But that's that's going to be rolling over. Again, investors just need to be a little bit patient here. And to keep up that transportation metaphor, uh, this month's uh, PPI report is another green light for the Fed to maintain their pace of interest rate hikes. Yeah, but notice the market didn't really sell off on that. Uh, even if tomorrow's inflation report is a little bit on the high side, we think that it's getting close to the point where markets understand where the Fed is now. And they're going to front load. The Fed's going to front load those interest rate hikes uh, into 2022. Uh, and it's going to be another percent, percent and a half between now and the end of the year. And after that, I think the markets are beginning to say, OK, uh, after that, we'll see. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's not a continuous fall uh, in the stock market. Paul, so that, that's, that doesn't happen. Paul Christopher, head of global market strategy at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute in St. Louis. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, there are plans to revive a restaurant chain that's a blast from the past. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The defunct national restaurant chain Bennigan's, which had locations around the Chicago area, including on Michigan Avenue downtown, could be in for a revival. We're joined by R.J. Hadavi, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI based in Chicago. R.J., thanks for joining us. And before we talk about the uh, future plans for the Bennigan's name, a possible uh, revival in the uh, not-too-distant future. I want to reminisce just about uh, what Bennigan's meant to a lot of people, especially uh, in suburbia. It was the anchor of many uh, shopping mall development. I mean, I went to the Bennigan's at Chicago Ridge Mall, of course, the one on South Michigan Avenue, and the one that was tucked away in that office plaza uh, off of Cumberland on the far northwest <laughs> side. It was just, it was, it was cheap, it was easy, it was everywhere, and then there were a lot of copycats, and that was kind of of its undoing. Yeah, it's a, it's a great memory there and a nice trip down memory lane. Um, yeah, it's exactly what happened. Uh, Bennigan's was really one of the first casual dining teams, kind of this idea, you know, really popularizing the uh, the happy hour and, uh, you know, obviously some of the appetizer plates and things like that really kind of made its name for itself and kind of being more affordable for, for most families and most audiences. But it did get uh, a lot of competition in that space. And I think ultimately that led to these chains trying to do too much for trying to do too many things for too many people and really not focusing and specializing. Uh, right now, uh, if we're looking at foot traffic data for, for the sit-down restaurant space, what we typically see is those that really have a focus, whether that's an experience, whether that's health and wellness, things like that tend to win out among these uh, these chains that try to do everything. So as this company is looking to, uh, to revive itself and reestablish a brand, I think that's probably the advice I'd give them is to, to really focus on one thing and do it well and, and really make that stand out and be uh, associated with the brand. Now, Bennigan's is a national chain uh, shut down a victim of the financial crisis 14 years ago, but uh, it did continue under individual owners. And in fact, there are some Bennigan's that are still around uh, that are just uh, run by one person or a corporation, but not under that corporate umbrella. Yeah, so uh, you're right. In the financial crisis, they shut down all the company-owned locations, but there, at this point, are another 26 that are being operated operated by franchisees or, or, or licensed partners for the for the brand. And I think that's what the growth plan is for this company going forward: is really to leverage these partnerships and and these uh, you know these things. It's a little bit like Applebee's parent company, DineEquity. They've always used a uh, franchisee model. You typically see it more in the quick service space, but I think there's more and more demand for franchising uh, opportunities, and I think we'll start to see some more of this. 
years. There is demand for sit-down restaurants coming out of COVID. Uh, we've seen a bit of pressure right now, but that's largely more uh, due to inflation uh, than anything else. We've seen a bit of demand and you know, a bit of pullback among particularly that uh, 60K and below customer uh, seeing some trading down there. But we do think there is sufficient demand for sit-down restaurants. And as this company looks to expand, there probably will be sufficient demand to open up franchises. Now, the, the, the owner of uh, the Bennigan's name, and also there's a restaurant that was big down south called Steak and Ale. Uh, they own that, and they're trying to bring that back as well. And, and their website is talking about some possible locations uh, to reestablish these brands. And they're casting a wide net because some of the locations include El Salvador, Guatemala, Pakistan, Honduras, Nicaragua. Uh, they're also adding Turkey, Florida, Texas, Kansas, and Iraq. So uh, if you want to uh, uh, relive all your suburban memories in Baghdad, uh, this company could allow you to do it. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting mix of locations that they've identified. Um, but what I think the common th- threat, at least for the international locations, uh, is that these are markets where there isn't much of a uh, sit-down restaurant uh, environment. So I think that this could be their way of being first-mover advantage or having first-mover advantage in some of these markets where it is a lot more fragmented. Uh, time will tell whether or not that's going to be a successful strategy. Uh, but there, there isn't a lot of you know traditional competition among casual dining chains in those markets. Uh, with respect to the Midwest chains, uh, I, I think we do see more competitors in that space. But obviously, this is a category that's been hit hard by by COVID and you know more recently by inflation. So there might be an opportunity to get in uh, while a lot of other chains are closing stores. And you talk about uh, a revived Bennigan's would have to find a lane and not be all things to all people as it was 20 or 30 years ago. That said, uh, how much momentum could it get off of nostalgia if it were to reopen in a big way? You know, we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, themes uh, or a lot of uh, uh, brands really try to capitalize on the nostalgia theme right now. Um, I, I think it wouldn't hurt from a, from a brand awareness standpoint. I think that there certainly is awareness and, and you know, affinity for the brand. Um, you know, but I, I don't think that's enough. I, I don't think you can just fully uh, rely on nostalgia at this point. That can't be everything. Uh, it really has to be part of a, a really focused, uh, you know, focused brand awareness, uh, you know, a push with, with, this, with this particular chain. So you can't jump in the Wayback Machine and uh, conjure up memories of uh, going to Bennigan's before seeing Con Air in the movie theater. <laughs> it, it helps, but you certainly need to have a good product and a good experience as well and a, and a good focus above all. RJ Hadavi, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI based in Chicago. Coming up next, it appears that TikTok is looking to enter the world of e-commerce. Economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Current job listings seem to signal that the social media app TikTok is looking to challenge Amazon in the e-commerce market. We welcome in Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group, founder of the Med Academy based in New York. Follow him on Twitter at Shelley Palmer. Shelley, thank Thanks for joining us today. Uh, TikTok, quietly, and maybe they can thank, maybe the people at ByteDance can thank uh, Elon Musk for this uh, due to his very public takeover bit of Twitter uh, for distracting everybody while TikTok became this giant in the social media world. Yes, very much so. Back in January, it actually surpassed Google as the most popular website on the World Wide Web. So that's a big deal. There are, if you're a media company, you should be shaking in your boots. TikTok is a formidable, formidable competitor to everything, YouTube, uh, you name it. And of course, where their sites are is to become as big revenue-wise as they are in popularity because they have not been able to monetize quite the same way that 
other organizations, other social selling organizations have been able to monetize. And so they're thinking they're going to go deep, deep, deep into uh, getting you to click on stuff you will buy. And in order to do that, they're going to need to distribute that merchandise. And so that's what everyone thinks is happening right now. And what would a uh, TikTok e-commerce platform look like? So the thing that makes TikTok really interesting is that unlike anything else, there's a single feed. And so it is highly, highly, highly tuned to what it is you are thinking about and what you're doing. When you don't like something, you scroll quickly. When you do, you go deeper or you'll swipe to one side or the other to to either go deeper into the subject with that particular uh, creator or not. And it keeps, the algorithm keeps tuning to you. Every once in a while, it shows you something it thinks you will want to buy. And it does that with the same insane accuracy as it does with the things it thinks you want to watch or engage with. So my suspicion is that that social selling platform will stay inside the single news feed because that's what they've trained everyone at TikTok to do. And it is devastatingly accurate and it is going to be very very successful. And then very quickly, Shelley, what is uh, TikTok's current ownership situation? I know some American companies uh, are trying to uh, buy it so that uh, the Chinese don't have access to American user information. So an American company stands to uh, profit big uh, if this e-commerce platform via TikTok were to take off. It's it's a big if. Right now it's owned by ByteDance. It's fully Chinese-owned, and they have an American subsidiary, which theoretically doesn't share data with China. This has been a political football. We could spend hours talking about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, for your listeners who are interested, I think a little Googling and a little reading uh, on the subject in on the financial pages, not necessarily the political pages, would be a good place to start. Shelley Palmer, CEO of the Palmer Group and founder of the Met Academy based in New York. Find him on Twitter at Shelley Palmer. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, one of the keys to building wealth is starting young. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Individuals who receive Social Security set to get a big boost in benefits. Updated COVID vaccines will soon be made available to younger children. Personal Finance Wednesday, an important aspect of building wealth, is putting together a plan while you're still young. Clothing retailer Banana Republic saying bye bye to Chicago's Magnificent Mile. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 70. Seven points. The actually now it's up eighty. The Nasdaq is up sixteen. The S and P five hundred is up four and a half. Severe weather pushing through the Chicago area. We do have a tornado warning in effect for Kenosha, Racine, and Walworth counties until one o'clock this afternoon, and a severe thunderstorm warning for McHenry County, northwest of Chicago. That is in effect until one o'clock this afternoon. It's twelve thirty-one. Topping our news at the half hour. Tens of millions of older Americans are about to get what may 
be the biggest raise of their lifetimes. The government is set to announce tomorrow what's virtually certain to be the largest increase in Social Security benefits in 40 years. The boost is meant to allow beneficiaries to keep up with inflation. However, critics say the data used to set the increase doesn't reflect what people are actually spending. The Food and Drug Administration is giving its okay to another round of COVID-19 vaccine boosters for young children, the latest from CBS News correspondent Alexander Tin. Following the FDA's emergency use authorization for the shots, the CDC is expected to soon sign off on updated COVID vaccine boosters from Pfizer down to five years old and Moderna down to six years old. Pfizer says it can ship up to six million doses of its new pediatric formulation for the updated boosters within the coming week, while Moderna's updated boosters for older age groups that are already in pharmacies and doctor's offices can be used for these younger kids just in a smaller dose. The updated boosters can only be given to people who've received their initial vaccinations. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are trading a little higher today. We're joined by Shah Gilani, Chief Investment Strategist, MoneyMorning.com, based in Miami. Shah, thanks for joining us today. The producer price index comes in a little higher than expectations, and normally investors spooked by the possibility of uh, more interest rate hikes uh, would head for the hills. But today, they're in a buying mood. Can you explain the discrepancy? Uh, I would say uh, if you want to call it a buying mood, then uh, let's go with that. But it's really just, a, uh, I think, another dead cat bounce. I don't think that we're going to see much follow through, especially with the CPI number coming out tomorrow. That's expected to be around uh, 8.1, 8.2. Um, anything short of a seven handle on CPI is going to move the markets back down. The reason that we're seeing some, I would call it buying, as you call it, just a little bit today, is really based on what's been happening in the UK. Uh, they have systemic issues with rate, rates rising so quickly. The pension fund system there, um, multiple systems are, are really in deep trouble. And I think investors here are looking at what's going on with rapidly rising rates elsewhere in the world, especially now UK, and thinking, well, no matter what happens CPI-wise, PPI-wise here, the Fed can't continue to raise at 75 basis point clips. And if anything, as things start to break here, they may pivot and start to lower rates. And that's the thinking that's giving markets a momentary boost now and then. But I don't think that's, uh, that sort of thinking is correct. Based on your read of the producer price index report from this morning, what do you see as the primary drivers of that uh, four-tenths of a percent increase month over month? Well, commodity prices, though they've come down, are still high relative to where they were a year ago. So input prices, as far as commodities are higher, energy prices have come down from their peaks, but they're still higher, about 40% higher than they were a year ago. So those input costs are what's driving the PPI. And uh, as far as energy coming down, I think it may have hit something of a floor. Though if demand continues to abate, then we could see some easing in energy prices. But on the other side of that, we know that OPEC plus, which means OPEC and Russia, are trying to boost uh, prices of oil and energy. And uh, so far, they've done a pretty good job holding that up. But um, those input costs are really what's uh, 
what's motivated its PPI higher. And I don't see them coming down anytime soon. So it's likely they will continue to see uh, pressure from uh, rising PPI. Well, they must have been listening to our conversation because uh, both the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 have turned negative. So I'm, I, I guess that shows, goes to show you the value of my analysis. Um, one, one quick question, though, just regarding uh, the, uh, the interest rate hikes, and that is it's the only tool the Fed has to really uh, bring down the rate of inflation. But in your estimation, is it the correct tool? Well, uh, you said, and you're correct, it is the only tool that they have. And uh, unfortunately, they're wielding it as uh, they would a blunt instrument because that's what it is. There's nothing else that they can do. Um, my belief is that they're going to come to a point where they're not going to be able to get inflation down to the 2% level that they expect. I think we're going to live with inflation around the 4% level for a couple of years because the Fed cannot continue to raise rates at a fast clip and undermine uh, the some financial institutions and the financial system systemically here in the United States, they cannot afford a depression. We can live with inflation. We can't afford a market crash and a depression. So that's really what they're facing if they continue to raise rates at the clip they are. And for the last 30 years, we've lived in a semi-low uh, uh, interest rate environment. And has that been the aberration historically? And are we going to, as you mentioned, uh, go into an era in which uh, inflation ebbs and flows and that the Fed is a lot more activist when it comes to uh, raising rates to fight it? It's not so much that we have had uh, periods in the past of low interest rates. What's different is the low interest rates that we had for the past 15 years have been artificially manipulated to lower levels by the Fed and by other central banks globally. But in particular, the Fed has done a superlative job of manipulating rates lower. And now we're seeing the backup of all of that as opposed to allowing market forces to let interest rates go where they normally would go based on you know, credit demand. Uh, we, we're, we've seen this manipulation show before. This is what led to the subprime crisis. And now we're seeing it once again. And uh, the, the firemen being asked to put out the inflation fire, uh, the Fed is the one who started the fire in the first place. We're going to continue to see these kinds of ups and downs as long as the Federal Reserve uh, thinks it can uh, macro-manage central plan the U.S. economy, which is a, a drastic mistake. Shah Galani, Chief Investment Strategist, MoneyMorning.com, based in Miami. Thanks for joining us. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. And it's Personal Finance Wednesday, and it's never too soon to put together a plan for building wealth. Let's get some help from Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management, based in Wheaton. The website, FairhavenWealth.com. Mark, thanks for joining us today. When we talk about uh, setting up a plan for building wealth and doing it as early as possible, many people think it's, you know, setting up those retirement accounts and other investing accounts either in college or as soon after you graduate and have your first uh, big time job is that the, a good time to do it or could you start even earlier well that that is a great time to do it but you could start even earlier depending on uh, depending on when you get that first paycheck if you're if you're working as a 16 year old and you're collecting a paycheck you could go ahead and set up a, a Roth IRA and start getting that money uh, saved even earlier than uh, than college or that or that first job. So yeah, getting started early within any of those time frames is a is a fantastic uh, idea because you could just be leaving tens and maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table by by delaying. When it comes to uh, compounding interest, uh, what difference does a year make? 
Uh, so that's gonna that is gonna depend based on all sorts of assumptions based on the dollar amounts that you're saving and the inch, the interest rate that you might you might get on the investments. But it it is safe to say that it that it is it's definitely tens and it's probably hundreds of thousands of dollars if you as a 20 year old decide just to wait even until you're just 25. So even just a five year difference when we're thinking about saving for retirement can cost you huge. And so and actually it gets even worse than that unfortunately. The, according to a recent study, 20 to 25 percent of uh, employees out there in the workforce are missing out on employer matches in their in their uh, company 401k plan. So that's the same as turning down a raise. The company's uh, willing to put money into your retirement account for you, and you're passing on that by not participating in the in the 401k plan. So it's critical to understand those benefits and making sure that you're capitalizing on them. If you're embarking on this journey now, let's say you are you know 20 years old, give or take, and you hear segments about volatility in the market and a downward trajectory and all sorts of uh, outside stimuli making the uh, financial markets a, a very, uh, at the very least, anxious place. Um, how should you react? I mean, what is this? A, if you're starting out, is this a good time to invest? So, so 100%. So beyond the beyond the the compounding effect, understanding how markets have behaved over time. Uh, if you extend your time horizon beyond 20 years, so for somebody that's again getting their first job and thinking about retirement, retirement is definitely more than 20 years more than 20 years away. Going back to 1926, we've never had a, a, a rolling 20-year period where the stock market has not produced a positive return. So, in in terms of a long long term, it has been historically a fantastic bet. Now, that's going to be different depending on again on on time horizons. But again, thinking about retirement when you're getting started, ignore what's going on in the in the stock market these days. Easier said than done. But again, been a great bet for long to for a long term. Uh, savings goal. Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management based in Wheaton. The website fairhavenwealth.com. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday still to come. Another major retailer is leaving Chicago's Magnificent Mile. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There's another vacancy coming to Chicago's North Michigan Avenue Shopping District. Let's get a Mag Mile update from Albie Galoon, senior reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Albie, thanks for joining us today. Another name on the list of fallen flags on the Magnificent Mile. What's the latest one to uh, uh, make an exit? Yeah, hi, Rob. Um, Banana Republic is leaving North Michigan Avenue. They've had a store at 744 North Michigan Avenue for, boy, 20 years or more, and the store is right between uh, Victoria's Secret and Ralph Lauren, and they are that store is up for lease. Um, so they're vacating, and that's not good news for the Mag Mile because the vacancy rate is already about 29%, so that's just going to push it up further. Four floors, 39,000 square feet. Uh, what would come into that particular space? Uh, another store or another experience? Uh, it's a good question. It's really hard to say. Uh, you know, one problem with Michigan Avenue these days is uh, most retailers don't want multi-level stores. They just want um, street-level space. So that's that will probably, uh, it'll probably be difficult to fill that upper floor space. You know, there's been some activity on North Michigan Avenue. There have been some tenants that have signed leases there, including 
Aritzia, which took the gap space recently. Um, so there have been glimmers of hope, but unfortunately, more tenants are um, going than are coming. Now, what uh, listing the uh, the biggest threats to North Michigan Avenue shopping uh, when you think about e-commerce or perhaps uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic or the unrest of two years ago? Of those three factors, what's driving business away from North Michigan Avenue? I, I say it's hard to distinguish between the three, but I think right now what uh, what's happening is. Uh, the Magnificent Mile has a little bit of an identity crisis. I mean, it kind of has to decide what it wants to be in the 21st century. And it has to offer something that shoppers can't get uh, elsewhere, especially in a regional mall. And if you look at Banana Republic, you can find, you know, Banana, Rep- uh, Banana Republic in most shopping malls. So that was not a unique retailer for Michigan Avenue. And, you know, a lot of people are thinking that's the direction that the shopping strip needs to go. It's attracting uh, retailers and other tenants that you, you don't see in other, other places. Albie Galoon, senior reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us this afternoon with the update on Banana Republic leaving uh, the Magnificent Mile Shopping District. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.